Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Ziggy Gruber from Kenny and Ziggy's coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing okay, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, we have had a wave of COVID-related restaurant closings. So I just want to kind of go through them rapid fire, kind of quick hit, just kind of one by one, just if you have any any thoughts on, on any of them. Let's start with Night Heron. This was Agricole Hospitality's Montrose concept. Originally, it was going to be kind of a bar forward, globally inspired restaurant. They, they changed it up. They made it more compatible with the menu they serve at Cultivare. You know, they we knew back in February that this restaurant had gone on the sublease market, and now it is officially not coming back. Matt, this is our neighborhood. This is this is right where we live. Are you going to miss Night Heron, or 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 what do you kind of what do you you have any thoughts? You know, just it's it's uh, sometimes there are those that just kind of are head scratchers, and uh, I think. Night Heron falls under that category. Yeah, I feel like it never quite hit the mark. I mean, I you know, it seems petty to complain about a place that that's closed, but you know, just never like the interior never felt quite as comfortable as I wanted it to be. I mean that that Italian y cultivare menu was a winner, but I think maybe a little bit too little too late. And you know, again, just another reminder, COVID aside, which certainly didn't help, uh, a lot of things have to come together for a restaurant to succeed. It's not it's not easy. Right. Even successful people, as Agricole is with Cultivare and 8 Row Flint and their, their properties in Edo, even then it, it takes not just skill, but a little bit of good luck to be successful. Yes, sir. All right. And then uh, 1B, Broken Barrel, the tapas and kind of shareable plates restaurant in the woodlands. I know, you know, the chef Hilda, you see a little bit. What do you think kind of, you know, contributed to that maybe other than, than COVID? Uh, you know, I would say primarily COVID. I think uh, they're really the only independent restaurant out there at Hughes Landing. So that uh, presents some challenges, but, you know, in this environment, I think with no real end in sight, you know, the uncertainty of how long this is going to go on, um, we're going to start seeing more and more of these closings. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know Congress is debating a number of different relief options. There's some lobbying for something called the Restaurants Act. I know John Cornyn has been, is a co-signer on some initiatives that would, that would help in that regard. But yeah, if we don't, if we don't get some serious government assistance, I think we're going to see a lot of places throwing the towel here pretty fast. And that's going to be as a diner, that's going to be really painful to, to not have those places in our lives anymore. Well, and let's remember, I mean, they, the places close, but <laughs> there are people that work in those places that now are out of the job, um, you know, and that contribute the places and the people contribute to the community and the fabric of the community and, you know, Houston to me is in in a lot of ways a really special city, and in that spirit of community and, and restaurants and bars and the hospitality industry is is uh, just a critical piece of that. And so we're going to you know, worst part, people losing their jobs, but we also will lose a little bit as a city. No, absolutely, and that's well said. And I I. I get a little selfish or myopic sometimes and think of this from, from my perspective as a writer or a diner, but, but you're right. The, the financial loss and the disruption of people's lives from, from losing their jobs. I mean, that's, that's, 
you know, a lingering issue that will need some sort of resolution. All right. And then let us, uh, Helen in the Heights, I have to say, I don't, I don't have much to say about this one that, um, we still have Helen in Rice Village. I thought, I thought the idea of kind of their take on a American style Greek taverna, you know, their, their kind of take on Nico Nico's was an interesting, an interesting idea, but I, I have to admit, I, I went maybe once or twice and it, it never really cracked my rotation. And I, and I think that may just be the case for, for people in the Heights too. It never, never quite caught on in the way that the original Helen did in Rice Village. Right. It was what originally was Arturo's. Is that right? It was Arthur Ave. It was a fancy Art, Italian thank restaurant. You. It was um, it was upscale Italian American that again, I, I thought that was a cool idea and then it just didn't really connect with me. Yeah, and I you know, so it, it pretty quickly changed to Helen the Heights. Obviously they had some success uh over in Rice Village and um that uh location I think was a little bit of a challenge. Um and it that momentum that that is typically critical in the beginning, I just think didn't happen and kind of a slow burn. And here we are with COVID five months into COVID. Yeah. And no end in sight. Uh, so. Black, right. Blackbird is a restaurant. I really enjoyed. I put it in the culture map top 100 last year. I thought what Philly uh, Kim was doing was really, really tasty. I mean, you know, that, that mix of, skewers and raw dishes with a little bit of ramen and, and a couple of heartier entrees and, and drinks and Japanese beer and craft beer. I thought that was all, I thought that was all pretty compelling. And it seemed like he was making a go of it at the beginning of the pandemic, running kind of a daily menu only to go. Uh, and I talked to him a little bit and he said that the, the process of reopening for dine-in proved too challenging. You know, the cost, cost of labor went up and, they weren't drawing quite the same way to justify the added expenses. And so they just had to, they had to give it up. I mean, this is, this is a place I'm certainly going to miss. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the, uh, small sad, uh, I think they were just starting to speak in a momentum. They were just starting to get some momentum before all this happened. Um, so I, uh, I look forward to, you know, the next steps there. And, and uh, I don't think we've heard the end of, of chef at Blackbird and Sakaya. No, I think you're right. I think chef Billy will uh, kind of let things calm down and regroup and hopefully find a new opportunity somewhere else. Um, all right. And then there's Acadian bakers. This is a, a mantras institution for something like 40 years. I know uh, a reliable source of King cakes uh, a lot of, I saw a lot on social media, people who either got a wedding cake from there or, or remember going to a wedding with a cake from Acadian Bakers. It had a kind of quietly underrated hamburger kind of before the, you know, the in, in the pre-Hubcap days, like before the, the big sort of modern burger boom. But uh, I don't know. I, I have to say I was never, I, I never was like an Acadian regular. I mean, maybe once or twice over the years. Um, I don't know. Do you have an Acadian, any thoughts on Acadian bakers? Uh, I, I will remember them fondly. I would, uh, uh, as I want to do sneak in, they would have a, a day old cookie selection and, uh, you know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You're driving by. Hey, you might as well see, you might just see, just see what's in the day old. Maybe, maybe pick up yeah. a chip. You know, cookie snack. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people are really going to miss that place. Uh, apparently, the Eater Houston kind of had a breakdown on this, but apparently it, it changed hands at the beginning of 2020 and the new owner. Right. A combination of, of pandemic and new owner just, just was not sustainable, uh, which is unfortunate. And then uh, finally, I have classic bars. Uh, Alice's Tall Texan, the the Heights Dive Bar, known for its uh, oversized frosty chalices of Shinerbach and Wild West, a country music dance hall, and what used to be known as the Richmond Strip. I don't, I don't really think that exists as a concept anymore. Um, both called it quits. They're both, uh, both uh, roughly forty years old. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't know that I have specific memories of either one of these. I mean, you know, Alice's was uh, a place I popped into a couple of times just to sort of soak up the vibe of a very uh, unpretentious, very welcoming atmosphere. And I, I will admit that I had a couple of uh, a couple of nights at Wild West back in my twenties, but it had been a long time. I uh, have to be honest. If I went to Wild West, I don't remember. That probably means you did go. <laughs> that may that that's what that may mean. Uh, but it was it would have been uh, many many moons ago. Um, you know, analysis Paul Texan is a little bit of a is a little acute. It's kind of a double whammy because that was a uh, noted hangout for. Uh, for the food industry. So, you know, that's, that's where uh, chefs would go for uh, a schooner and a shot and a respite. And, and uh, now that's gone. Yeah. And just a kind of a, you know, the Heights has changed so much in the, in the last several years, it just is kind of a, a throwback to a, you know, kind of before all that, when it was, you know, a little, a little more subdued, a little more obscure, you know, it, it's a it's a sign of changes, and and they're not always for the positive. It's it's certainly a place that, again, a lot of people are going to miss. Right. It was it was a little bit anachronistic. You could kind of go there and push the pause button, and you know, tell lies and have a few laughs, and so yeah, that's that that uh, again. I mean, that, that's part of that community that that you know you speak of, and uh, I think that play. I think Alice's will be missed. Absolutely. And, and you get full credit, A-plus on anachronistic. That's a good word. Thank you, Daddy. All right. Topic number two. Clark Cooper Concepts has made a bunch of changes. They have reopened the kitchen at the Dunleavy with its menu of uh, breakfast and lunch, sandwiches, salads, that sort of thing. Daddy's Burgers, the pop-up that they launched at the Dunleavy, has relocated to the former home of Punk Simple Southern Food in Rice Village, which is now closed, at least temporarily. And then eventually Daddy's Burgers will operate uh, probably through the end of the year before it itself gives way to a new, still unnamed uh, wine bar and restaurant with, uh, with a significant to-go offering in terms of both wine and prepared meals. You know, I... I don't. Uh, I don't know that I'm personally going to miss Punk Simple Southern Food very much. I mean, it had one standout dish with uh, with very good fried chicken, and then the rest of it just never quite came together for me. This one I am more certain of for you know no reason in particular, but I I, I never made it to Punk's. Yeah, I don't. I uh, like I said, other than the fried chicken, I'm not really sure that you missed much. Um, have you made it to Daddy's Burgers yet? I, I have not. It's on the list. I've heard good things. That's encouraging from uh, perhaps yours truly. Yeah, I had a I had a really nice visit there uh, right when they opened. Tasted through a bunch of the uh, a bunch of their offerings with Grant Cooper. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, first rate tempura fried onion rings, and and very uh, very tasty milkshakes. You had my attention at tempura. I knew that I would. Uh, and, and I sort of asked Grant, I mean, tough to open a burger place within such close proximity to both Hop Dottie and Shake Shack. He is not worried, you know, from his perspective. They, they've got a really loyal following for, for the Dunleavy, for Copa, for Brasserie 19. So Daddy's Burgers will pull from all of that. And, you know, full service, cocktails, you know, a slightly more diverse menu. Uh, so he actually, and they've added a, they've added a section they call, but mama says with some lighter fare, some seafood options, uh, crab, Louis salad, shrimp cocktails, some stuff like that. So, you know, they think, they think they've got a winning concept and, and I, you know, who am I to question them? They've had a ton of success in the industry. TBD. Yeah. TBD on that. And, and TBD on this new, uh, wine bar, restaurant, you know, he said it's it's food that will pair well with wine. And I said, oh, does that mean it's Ibiza 
And Grant said, no, absolutely not. It's a totally new menu. <laughs> no, no overlap with the uh, Ibiza menu, but, uh, you know, something to look forward to and something that, again, I mean, you know, it's in that kind of luxury apartment complex, you know, I think it'll, it'll suit that, that neighborhood really well whenever that does open in 2021. Yes, sir. And then topic number three, there is a new delivery app slowly making its way into Houston. It is called Orange Crate. They launched in Fort Bend County in June. They are coming to the Memorial area uh, from roughly, let's say roughly 610 to Highway 6 uh, in the middle of August. So, uh, you know, maybe not something that you or I will be able to utilize, but what I think is interesting about Orange Crate is that it is a franchise so it is locally owned and locally controlled and it charges a lower fee to its restaurants. Um, whereas like a, you know, the national players who breed Storedash might charge between 25 and 30% to the restaurant. Orange crate charges roughly half that between 10 and 15%. Matt, are you a, are you a delivery app user at all? You know, I have, I don't see myself doing it going forward. Certainly not in the current, uh, current dynamic. Um, I think it's challenging. I think it's challenging. It's encouraging that the restaurants are being charged less. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, stuff floating around about DoorDash particularly and how much the restaurants get charged and, um, so to me, transparency is, is important, but I don't know that anyone's really done it successfully. Yeah. I didn't quite, I didn't ask, uh, Cody Lee, the, the franchise, the franchisee about, you know, my understanding, and, and there's been some pretty extensive reporting on this is that, you know, these services are sort of in customer acquisition mode. So they're not, or the national, the big national ones are, so they're not, profitable uh even taking 30 percent from the restaurants i i don't know that a locally owned option even if it charges consumers a slightly higher fee and the restaurants less fee is viable in the long term i suppose that's not it's not really my problem it's not my business but i do i do wonder about that um i do think though that that consumers you know especially now you know, they want to support restaurants, but they want the convenience of delivery and they, they may or may not feel comfortable dining in the dining room. So delivery is appealing. Uh, I think they might be more likely to support a service if they knew that more of their dollar went to the restaurant instead of to the delivery service. No, that, that is encouraging. And, and, you know, it's, I don't mind paying for delivery. Obviously it's a service of convenience. Um, I just want to know how the fees are broken down. Absolutely. You know, and if I'm going to pay 10% more on top of, you know, I, there, uh, there are a few restaurants. I know that they mark their prices up to offset that. And I think that's fine. Um, but, uh, Living in, in Montrose, I think we're a little bit spoiled just because we have so many options so close and in more of a suburb area like Sugarland, I can see the appeal of of delivery, particularly if you have a family, kids and you know. So I, I, I it did sort of pique my interest when I saw the uh, the outline kind of because I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of it until until today. Right. Well, it you know, we, again, we're being sort of inner loop focused it, in it being only available in Fort Bend County for right now. Yeah. It, it hasn't penetrated the sort of citywide consciousness, but it does seem like it's off to a pretty strong start um, out in Fort Bend County. And, and, you know, Cody told me he's very pleased with the, the start that he's off to and that he hopes to grow it maybe to Galveston, maybe to the woodlands, and then eventually to, to start looking at options inside the loop. So, Something to sort of keep an eye on, but but certainly for anyone who's in 
listening to this and is in Fort Bend County, you know, this is your, this is definitely worth checking out. And, and as it makes its way to the kind of greater memorial area at the end of the month, I think that's, uh, that's got real potential for people. Yes, sir. All right, Matt, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our restaurants of the week are brought to you by Cutwater Spirits. Cutwater Spirits takes their award-winning real spirits, uses them to make great cocktails, which they then put into cans, so you can easily take them where no cocktail has gone before, even if that's just your own backyard in summer 2020. Cutwater offers a convenient way to enjoy your favorite bar-quality cocktail outside of the bar setting. They have a wide variety of over 17 delicious canned cocktails and 20 bottled spirits, so there is something for everyone. The Vodka Mule, Tequila Margarita, Grapefruit Vodka Soda, and Tequila Soda are just a few of their fan favorites. You can find Cutwater locally at Specs, Total Wine, Goody Goody, and more. Visit CutwaterSpirits.com for more information. So, Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about our recent meal at 1751 CN Bar. This is the Sandbrook's Management Seafood Restaurant on Heights Boulevard, just south of I-10. Chef J.D. Woodward holding it down in the kitchen. Uh, Matt, what did you... We, we've been going to 1751 basically since the day that it opened. Uh, Chef JD has mixed things up a little bit with COVID, sort of narrowed down the menu a little bit. Uh, what did you think of this current iteration of 1751? Well, I, I'm a fan. Um, I like uh, some of the new dishes, some of the, the, the focus, even more focus on seafood is really appealing to me. thought the food was interesting thought the flavor profiles were not simple, but really worked well together. So. Yeah, I think, I think Chef JD has kind of, you know, maybe narrowed or or focused the menu in some interesting ways, you know, um, more explicit Asian influences. I mean, we had a duck confit gyoza that I really enjoyed. We had a hamachi crudo. I mean, you know, twist my arm. Twist my arm and make me eat hamachi. Uh, and then, that's, that's and what, uh, what was interesting about that was that was the belly on the hamachi. Right. So, so. a little fattier, a little more flavorful. Uh, right. Really nice order of, of steamed mussels with, with aromatics. Certainly enjoyed that. Foie gras torchon with uh, like savory onion pound cake. Little little twist on on the classic. Japanese-style chicken karage, crispy, juicy, uh, very flavorful. And then that whole uh, that whole bass that we had at the end with the, uh, the kind of Creole sauce and the, and the sautéed shrimp, I thought that was uh, a, a very satisfying, very well-executed dish. Yeah, that was a fun, tasty dish. And, and for them to be able to uh, debone it but still serve it like they did was, was pretty slick. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. That is, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Yeah. So they, that, you know, the, the only problem with whole ordering whole fish is that picking through the bones can be really problematic. So they, they take that, uh, they take that burden away by boning the fish before they serve it, which is very thoughtful of them. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, no, I, I had had a so, so 1751 experience back in December or January. So it's, it's nice to see it in such good form. And, and I felt good about dining there in terms of the things they're doing to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. I mean, you know, hand sanitizer right when you walk in. Obviously, all the staff are wearing masks. There's a, a good amount of space between the tables. And, and just for me, I think, you know, in trying to be strategic about where and when I dine at restaurants, you know, we went on a, on a Tuesday night. And I think, you know, that's kind of how I'm handling things. I'm, I'm more likely to go to a restaurant on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, than on a Friday, Saturday, uh, going either a little early or a little later to try to 
you know, avoid the crowds. I think that's all, it's kind of, that's kind of how I'm handling things. How are, how are you doing that? I think it's week by week, to be honest. So, yep. but uh, 1751 included have been uh, impressed with the uh, COVID protocols with one exception, which I will not name, but uh, <laughs> that uh, I don't need to, to return there anytime soon, but it really depends week by week. Been doing, you know, eating at home more. I, I, I do find probably we're cooking for a while, but it's really been a lot of takeout. I just feel um, it's important to support the restaurants as much as possible. So a lot of takeout, a few uh, socially distant dinners. Yeah, what I have sort of come to realize about myself is that all of the the casual weeknight, you know, dinner for one, dinner for two, you know, popping into Polly's for a quick bowl of pasta or, you know, going to a restaurant like Aladdin or 369 for a, a quick dinner, all of that stuff has gone away. That's all to go for me now. So I'm not, I'm not having those kind of meals at restaurants, but, but the other thing I've, I've sort of come to realize and appreciate is how much I just value that experience of dining at restaurants, sitting down with friends, you know, having a staff that's kind of focused on, you know, your needs and, and taking care of you for the night. I still, I still really do value that time spent with other people and, um, you know, I don't want to give it up. So, so where it does make sense and where I can be strategic in where and when I'm dining, I'm, I'm taking advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit at the end of the day. And that interaction that we have is, is part of what makes dining out special. You know, when you sit down and they have your glass of ice there for you, you know, (laughs) makes you feel good. It does. All right. Matt, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I will be right back with Ziggy Gruber. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by the chef and owner of Kenny and Ziggy's. Ziggy Gruber, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Eric. How are you doing in this crazy Um, I'm I'm hanging in there. Uh, thanks for doing this. Before we before we get into it, I have to. Uh, it's the first time I ever had to do this with a podcast guest. But my mother told me to tell you hello. Oh well, that's great. I love your mother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom's mom's you know mom's a big fan of yours, and and I I suppose I should say just in the interest of the fullest possible disclosure that when you were making the documentary that she contributed a little bit of money to that production and is listed in the credits. Absolutely. She was, she was a very big supporter of that. Yeah. We love you. The one I make that, that, that wants and lets me make her uh, for Yuntis uh, pickled herring. I'm not pickled locks. Sorry. Pickled locks. Pickled locks. Yeah. That's a, that is a dish that it's like deep, deep in the heart of the, uh, the Jewish canon. It doesn't, it doesn't exist on your regular menu. No, it doesn't. You know, it's funny. I was talking the other day with a friend of mine. I said, you know, I guess uh, anyone under 40, I said, for the Jewish holidays, does anyone make tegelich anymore? And for people that don't know what tegelich is, it's these little balls that are mixed with honey and sugar and, and nuts and basically mounded up. And People in Eastern Europe, especially Lithuania, this is what they used to eat for Rosh Hashanah. And I said, in New York, growing up as a kid, every Jewish bakery would have that for the holiday. But today, I don't think you see anyone doing that anymore. I have a memory that we used to get them maybe from Three Brothers. And just for the the audience that's trying to imagine this, I would describe it as as a Jewish croquembouche. Yes. Sort of little... (laughs) <laughs> Little nuggets that you sort of pick off a hole, sweetened right. with honey, and uh, but I, you know, if my memory is correct, I don't think Three Brothers has made it. I've made that in a long time. Actually, that would I like your idea. If I was going to make one, I actually have from 
my days in another life when I wasn't, uh, when my dad wanted me out of the delicatessen business when I worked at Le Gav Roshan, which was a three-star Michelin restaurant for the Rue Brothers. Um, I have my mold. I used to make crock and bushes, but that would be an interesting concept to do that as the modern day take. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think there might be a market for it. Well, and I think that's kind of a, a, a good jumping off point is you, you mentioned that you, you had this French training and, and I know that the, the deli man documentary kind of tells a lot of your personal biography, but, but maybe for people who haven't seen the movie or, or haven't heard it, how did you kind of go from growing up in, in the deli business to, to working for the Rue brothers? Well, when, when my grandfather, when I was 15, my grandfather passed away and he was my best friend in everything. And when he died, I took it so badly that um, I just wanted to work. And like all Jewish parents, uh, they said, no education, education, education. Meanwhile, my dad wanted me to not really be in the delicatessen end. He said, go and be in the fancier end of the business. But my mom said, look, we have relatives in England you've never met. I'm going to introduce them to you. So we flew to get my mind off the things to England. And I befriended one of my cousins, and he told me he was going to culinary school at 15. And I said, well, if you're going, I'm going too. And I talked my way into it. And from there, when I was working, they would have these long, long, from, from the springtime to the summertime, they would have these long recesses. So I would come back to New York, and I remember working um, at um, Aurora for Joe Baum and Gerard Pangol who was a very famous, uh, I think he was a two-star Michelin chef over there. And I worked for 15, 16 years old there. And then um, the next recess after that, I worked um, over uh, with Alfred Cortelli. They just opened up um, uh, Gotham Bar and Grill. I worked there. And then from, from, from there, I went back to England and uh, I was number one in my class. And um, the people of the Rue organization approached me and said, how would you like to work at uh, Le Gavroche? And I mean, that was like the only three-star Michelin restaurant at, in London at that time and went there and it was just the most amazing experience. I mean, the people that were working in the kitchen at that time, you had Marco Pierre White, you had uh, Gordon Ramsay, you know, you had Pierre Kaufman, you had a, a bunch of chefs that were ended up being all, you know, some of the biggest names today. So it was a very good experience. But one day I went to visit my dad in New York um, when I took a little bit of a break and I went to the Deli Man's Association dinner and I looked around and I saw all these 70, 80 year old people and I said, well, who's going to perpetuate this type of food? And that's when I said, this is my calling. And, uh, and I liked more of the Hamishness of, uh, of, which is the home style of, of, of being in the Jewish delicatessen business. So that's why I decided to stay into it. And I've been doing it ever since. And it's what I love to do. So are there elements of your French training that creep into the menu at Kenny and Ziggy's? Absolutely. A lot of my dishes, like, for example, like my blintzes, which are very light as a feather. I have taken some of the French techniques and the techniques that I've learned to make my Jewish food lighter rather than being like a stain, which is Yiddish as a stone. So it's not going to sit. So, for example, people don't realize gefilte fish is gefilte fish. But if you go to a French restaurant, they call it quenelle. So, you know, so my gefilte fish is nice and light and sweet. It's not heavy. And, uh, and uh, you know, years ago, I'll never forget when I opened up on Sunset Boulevard and I had Ziggy G's Delicatessen restaurant, I was next to a very famous French restaurant called Le Dome. And Le Dome, the, the chef smelt, I was cooking chulant and he was smelling, he goes, my God, that brings me back to my, my, my childhood. He goes, What's, what are you making? So I said, I'm making chulant. I said, but you don't know it as chulant, you know it as cassoulet. So he, I gave him a little bit of the cassoulet to eat, and we made a trade because my kitchen was next to his kitchen. So I, uh, 
but there was a space between us. And and if you know uh, West Hollywood, you're kind of in a hill. So it's kind of like going all the way down. So I passed him. It was kind of like that Grey Poupon commercial. I handed, I handed him the cassoulet and I said, and while you're at it, I'll take some of that duck you're cooking over there. And he handed me some duck. So we became friends after that. Very nice. All right. And then how did you, how did you make your way to Houston? I, I made my way to Houston. Very interesting. Me and the old owner of the Carnegie Delicatessen, a gentleman named Freddie Klein, who was a New York icon, uh, who actually owned the Carnegie, he owned a piece of Wolf's, he owned a piece of the stage, he owned a bit of every delicatessen in New York. Um, we were going to open up in Times Square together. At that time, Rudy Giuliani was redoing all of Times Square, and we sat down and we were making a lease, but the rent was ridiculous. And at that time, after being in the business back then, over 20 years, uh, I didn't need the glory and everyone patting me on the back telling me, oh, how great you are. I needed to make a living and I wanted to make a couple of bucks. So, you know, I mean, it's the restaurant business. And I know people say I'm an artist, I'm this. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to make a living and we need to feed our family. So, so uh, I said, forget about this. We went out to Park Steakhouse and we got a phone call. A gentleman named Lenny Friedman who had a son named Kenny and Lenny was a kid from the Bronx who was in the restaurant, uh, was in the real estate business. And um, he said, look, my son wants to go in the restaurant business, but I told him I'm only going to back him if it's a delicatessen store. And he talked me into coming down. I came down, we shook hands and the rest is history. And here I am. 20 years. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I mean, I remember when it opened, you know, when the restaurant opened and the idea of like a, a really authentic Jewish deli. Not that we didn't have delis growing up, but just the, in Houston, but it wasn't quite the same. It always felt like, like, Oh sure. That, you know, they could get a, you could get a pastrami on rye, but like you couldn't get, you know, Kishka or a Kanish or, you know, the, the details were never quite right. So I think you really kind of elevated it. Well, I, again, when we were building the store, you had, um, Guggenheim's, and then you had Victor's, which was in Meyerland at the time. And I think people were wanting something more, but I don't think they were expecting the quality and what we brought to the table. And when they did, they were pleasantly surprised, and they 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 embraced us with open arms ever since. And the store was busy ever since, and, and I'm very grateful to that. Yeah, how would you say you've sort of evolved over 20 years? I mean, are there are there dishes you're doing now that maybe you didn't think you could do in the beginning or that or that as people have gotten to know you and sort of trust you that you you feel more comfortable serving now? Yeah, well, when we first opened up, we 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 I didn't do so much like the chicken frickies or the stuffed breast of eels or or um, some of the other, you, you know, I'll, I'll always do something Yiddish like, you know, um, we 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 did we I did some pacha when when we did for some of the old survivors, um, you know dishes like that in the beginning we didn't do, but now I'm doing more and more of that because people are enjoying it. And um, I mean the Romanian steaks that they enjoy, or I do carnazzola, which is very nice sometimes. So yeah, we're we're always growing more stuff. Now there's a lot of stuff that I could throw on the menu, but I don't know if they're going to be well-received, like lung and stew, which is lungs and hearts and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if the younger generation is going to get that. I mean, it's tasty. Don't get me wrong. Or, or unborn eggs, which are, which I don't have a source here in New York. I used to have an unsourced. They would get the unborn eggs of the chicken and you would poach it in the soup. That was very, uh, it was a delicacy. It was very, very delicious. Things like, you know, a little old school stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm definitely contemplating putting back mushrooms and sweetbreads, which is something I used to do because I see a lot of restaurants in town are doing sweetbreads now. So obviously somebody's eating it. So, so my mushrooms and sweetbreads, uh, I remember uh, Jenny Grossinger that owned Grossinger's. She said, I made the most heavenly, uh, what was it? Sweetbread she ever ate. 
Yeah, we're a we're kind of a funny town. I mean, I'm sure you sell a lot of chicken liver, right? I mean, that's got to be a big part of. We sell tons of that, and especially with Yuntif coming, we'll probably sell about five thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, and then how many? Just while we're while we're on, how many pounds of lots will you sell for for the end for of Yom Kippur for breakfast? We'll go. Let's see. So we'll go through at least. A hundred sides in Nova. Each side is so you're looking at six hundred pounds of of Nova. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, considering you know a a quarter pound on a bagel is like a pretty satisfying portion. Yeah, six hundred pounds, easy. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're the large we're the largest uh, appetizing store in the Southwest, according to Acme. Nobody sells as much smoked fish as we do. Yeah. But again, we know how to handle it. It's the way we cut it and the way we prepare it. Yeah. And you continue to make some changes. I mean, you, you, I guess it's been about a year since you swapped bagels and started using uh, Bagel Express out in, out in oh, Sugarland. Yeah. I love Barry. That, that was the best. I wish I would have known Barry sooner, honestly. He is such a gentleman to work with. And the man is so talented. I mean, it, we give him anything to do with bread or anything. He get, His challah is the sweetest. I mean, the amount of challahs we sell now on a Friday and even on a Saturday is ridiculous. We never used to sell that until he said, hey, why don't you sell some challahs? And now everyone calls up. I want the $5 challah. <laughs> 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 so, you know, what was it? Um, so everyone knows Fridays is five dollar hollas. So 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 we've been selling that, and and you know what? We ran out of um, when when Iran when not Arandis, um when um, El Belio closed up. We we buy Belios from them to use for um, our club rolls and and uh, also you know for the Philly. When they were closed, I said, Barry, have you ever made a Belio? He says, I don't know, but I'll give it a shot. So he gave it a shot, and he did a pretty good job. He was making Belios. So uh, I'm very glad that we're doing business with him. He's really a sweet guy. Yeah, and you're also you're also in the cake business. You you added a, a commercial bakery to your yeah. offering. Well, well, I mean, look, we, we, we've always baked our cheesecakes and our stuff like that, but we've gotten bigger, and you know, the, it keeps on growing. We, we bake for about 60 other restaurants and caterers here in town of all different cakes and pies and you name it. Because, um, you know, we make a lot of cakes for other people that um, we don't even sell at the deli. Anything from tres leches to, you know, tiramisu to, you know, peanut butter cakes and things like that. So my 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 cake angels at Cakeworks, which I love, I, lo I love these women. They're they're doing a fabulous job, and uh, that's been a, a very good thing. And in spite of this 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 um, environment, um, even though it's slightly down, we're actually doing pretty well in the bakery, and 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 some of the restaurants we're selling are 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 selling a lot of desserts. So that's been helpful. Yeah, how is the deli doing? I mean, what are the just in talking to people, you know, one of the things is customers seem to want like comforting familiar food and of course that's it's kind of your stock and trade. Right. Well, I mean, we're lucky. I think we're positioned better than a lot of restaurants because you're right. Look, when people are are feeling sad, depressed, or, or having a craving, they're not thinking, what kind of foam do I want to eat? You know, and they want, they want, they want, they want some meatloaf and they want a pastrami sandwich or they want, you know, like a lox and bagel or they want, you know, chicken soup. Believe it or not, I'm selling more salami than I've ever sold in my lifetime. And I can't, uh, I, I've never sold that much, even the hard salami. I mean, we're selling hundreds of, of, of salamis. Now, unfortunately, uh, Hebrew National, um, well, I had a lot in, in, in stock, thank God, but Hebrew National has closed up their plant and they won't open till probably October. But I looked at my old records of my grandfather and everything else, and we had a formula for salami. And I sent it to my friend, uh, what was it, who has a USDA plant, 
um, to that 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 makes my hot dogs for me. And he says, let's make some made the salami and we did a side by side with Hebrew and it blew Hebrews away. So I said, okay, so so in the next week or so, um, hopefully by next week I should have some of that salami in stock. And then I told them just put them on red red uh, what do you call it uh, casings, but then we'll have our own Kenny and Ziggy's uh, salami. So uh, that was great. So maybe uh, we can get that. Maybe we can even sell it in the supermarket. Yeah, there you go. I I mean I I know you're a, you're a, an astute student of the restaurant business. I know you you talk to people, you you mentor people. I mean, what are you what are you hearing from from other operators out there? How are they feeling about the current state of things? Well, listen, no nobody could have ever foreseen what's going on right now. I mean, this is I don't care how seasoned you're not. It doesn't matter if you're a mom and it doesn't matter if you're a multi-unit chain. It doesn't matter if you're even a, a medium price independent company with about five or six units. Everybody has been affected the same way. It's like it's like they took the rug from underneath us. So some people that were smart pivoted and found ways to get their customers still, you know, patronizing them in a different way. You know, like I said, we're lucky because... We did a lot of takeout. We did delivery. We, w- what we did is now we do a lot of curbside where people just pull up to the curb. So, and, and it's been going really good. I mean, we, we've got that so streamlined and everyone's been really happy with it. So people have had to do it. Is anyone setting the world on fire right now? Nobody's setting the world on fire right now. But some of the good ones that have very loyal customers are doing enough, doing enough to pay their rent, doing enough to pay their help, being enough to pay their bills, and take a couple of pennies for themselves. But uh, again, everybody has been affected. And um, I I think we're in for a long haul. I don't think this is going away so fast. I think this is going to go all the way into, you know, 2021. And, uh, and, What's sad is I am talking to friends of mine that are in the delicatessen end of the business in New York, and they are struggling, it seems, harder than what we're doing over here. Um, a friend of mine uh, that owns Sarge's uh, Deli, he told me, he says, man, business sucks, Ziggy. He goes, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. And in the same breath, my friend from Los Angeles that owns Factors Famous Deli in, in, on Pico Boulevard in Beverly Hills told me, we're doing business on curbside, but it's not enough, you know, for them. And these are operations that have been in business for 75 to 80 years, and they are very good operators. This isn't, a, this isn't about how good the operator is or not. It's just the circumstances of really... I mean, look, you see very experienced people closing up operations because they can't, they have no choice. It's a business decision. So hopefully, you know, if you're smart and if you have no debt, if I'll tell you this, if you have a lot of loans out there and you owe a lot of money, it's going to be very hard for you to survive this. Thank God we have no debt. So if you have no debt, you can ride this out. So personally, you're feeling... It sounds like fairly confident that, that Kenny and Ziggy's will continue well in the future. Oh, yeah. Ken, Kenny and Ziggy's will definitely keep the future. There is no doubt about that. Um, we will do that. I still have not what to do with my smallest store. See, at the biggest store, I can spread everything out, which I've done. You've been here. So you see every all the tables are six feet. The other is so narrow, like a subway car that I, if I, uh, maybe I could get five or six tables. That's really not enough to operate a restaurant to do five or six tables there. On top of it, my kitchen is so narrow and much more condensed than what I have over there. It's very, not very good to have any social distance for the actual people that are working there. So I, I haven't figured out what to do in, with that store yet um, because we, we just can't open it. So who knows? But, but we're lucky with the big store. The big store is doing good. 
we we had a fantastic weekend this weekend. Um, it was really nice. It was kind of like a remnant of the way things were. I mean, the 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 curbside was jamming like nobody's business, and the we the the dining room was great too. I mean, people were sitting down. You know, it was we weren't rushed, but but everybody was eating. And and what was nice is all of the people have been saying they feel really comfortable eating here the way and the procedures that we're doing over here. So they're they're happy about it. Yeah, and then uh, I shift gears just a little bit. I know that it's you know even with all these challenges, you're still you're still participating in Delhi Month, an initiative that you started to sort of spotlight delis around the country and and donate a little bit of money to charity uh what are you what are you doing this year i know you're supporting the holocaust museum we're we're supporting the holocaust museum because it's very important especially to to you know to the holocaust museum is not only just about the holocaust it's about the tolerance of everybody so there's no place for hate at all so it's very important that we we support an organization like that. So, it, it, and it's always near and dear to my heart, um, the Holocaust Museum. So we are doing again the thirty-eight dollars for a three-course meal in Kinahara. You know, I feed you like nobody's business. You'll be rolling out of here, um, and. of those proceeds will go to the Holocaust Museum. On top of it, they have a wonderful exhibition that's coming called the Nelson Mandela Struggle for Freedom. It's the national debut of this traveling and we are giving a ticket, free ticket uh, to that exhibit with everyone that orders that, that, uh, you know, the dinner. So it it should be very, very nice for yeah, we should, and and I should say it's a it's a three course menu, thirty eight dollars, and and it's all the greatest hits. It's it's all of the things that someone could conceivably uh, want to eat at Kenny and Zadie's. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's it's all all the good stuff, but a lot of it, you know, is like you, you can get some of the stuff that like our Eastern European specialty stuff, like you know the Hungarian goulash and a Romanian. Or, or our stuffed cabbage, which is legendary, or chopped liver, or something, or even kishka, you know, like that. So, if you've never eaten any of these items before, it's a it's a great time to try some of those items. Well, that, that's what I've I've sort of told people who are sort of curious about this food, and either they're Jewish and they didn't grow up with it, or they've read about it, or they've seen it in movies or whatever, and they don't. You know, I've always said you should do like a like a tasting menu, right? Like a, you know, like a, like a tour of the tour, a tour of the Lower East Side where you get like a little bit of raw fish and maybe a little latke or maybe a little knish and maybe a little, a little pastrami or a little corned beef. You know, you could kind of, you kind of take people through all this stuff because I, I do think there's a curiosity about it, but I do think that um, people can be intimidated, right? They don't always know what they, they don't always know where to start. Well, that's true. And, and, and the one thing is my wait staff is very knowledgeable about our menu. And if anybody has any questions or does want that kind of a tour, we can definitely be your tour guide and navigate you through that culinary experience. Yeah, I, I feel bad for your staff when they're new because you have to explain to them the difference between kasha and kanish and kishka. And they all sort of sound the same and they're all very, very different foods. Yeah, well, I mean, look, first of all, our, our menu is probably one of the largest menus in Houston. It's the size of the Haftorah over here, and um, it's it's very large, so that can be daunting experience in itself. But, yes, we have to explain to every everything what everything is, but we make sure that everybody tries everything, too. So your server has eaten all of those esoteric items that you might have never tried before. All right. What's the what's the most underrated item on the Kenny and Ziggy's menu? What what don't you think you get enough respect for? Mm, that's a very good question. You know, honestly, I think the chicken fricassee with the pippics and the meatballs. I am surprised more people do not go order that more often. I mean, we get it and we and we have it and we sell enough. 
But I, I think, I mean, I think it's just like so tasty and so delicious that that definitely do that. And I think, I think honestly, I know, I know it gets a bad rap. I think more people should eat kishka. If you're going to be eating boudin over here, which you know everyone loves, this is the Jewish boudin, and 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 it's delicious. Yeah, I I would struggle. I my father always called it uh, Jewish haggis, but it's it's basically like grain and beef drippings and and I don't know what what is in kishka. It's, well, what's in kishka? It's a combination of of beef drippings. You're right, and matzo meal and barley. And, and celery, carrots, onions, garlic, paprika, other kinds of spices, and and it's it, and you mix it all up together and you stuff it in a casing, and it's delicious. It's like it's like a, a great stuffing that you can have, and 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 it's great. You know, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine is uh, is Lakey from uh, the. Over there, she she's she's the kosher caterer over there, and and she was in during this pandemic. She went up to the mountains. I call the mountains the Catskills. So she was up there and she was taking pictures of all the Hasidic foods for me because she knows I love that stuff. And I saw and I I might try this. They took a whole chicken breast and they stuffed it with kishka, and I'm like, ooh. That's delicious. That looks good. I said, I definitely want to do. <laughs> I want to do that. So I'm <laughs> gonna have to try that. I think. I think. I think. I'm sure. I'm sure. If I got. If I make that, you'll. I'm sure you and your mom can come over. You can you know, have a try of that. I, I think you'd like it. I. I will absolutely come try that. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you about something, and if you tell me that you can't, either that it's not true, or you can't talk about it, then we'll just. We'll just cut this little sure. bit right here. All right, so so let me ask you. I heard a rumor that you're thinking about moving to a new location, and I uh, wanted to know if that's true. That is true. Can you can you tell us about it, or is it too soon to talk about it? I think it's too soon to talk about it, Eric. But it, but it's true. But I will let you know when 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 we're going to send out the um, the statement. It's it's going to be new. But just put it this way, Eric. It's going to be. If everyone loves Kenny and Ziggy's, this is going to be Kenny and Ziggy's on steroids. We're going to have a full bakery. We're going to have um, a full delicatessen and appetizing counter. We're going to have a soda fountain over there and a full bar. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be really, really neat. And then let me let me just ask you about one other thing. You you had contemplated like a more adult concept that you called Dubrows, an homage to a New York restaurant. Correct. Do you, do you still aspire to do something like that, or do you think you're just going to concentrate on? Well, right Kenny now, Ziggy's? right now, I'm going to concentrate on Kenny and Ziggy because this new project is going to be massive. I don't think there has been a delicatessen um, operation like this in the United States, not since the Great Rascal House. All right. Well, Ziggy, before I let you go, we have to. Uh, we have to play the lightning round. This is five easy questions. Just give me five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Sure. All right. Ziggy Gruber, what is your favorite ingredient? Schmaltz. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, with a drive-thru? Yeah. Oh, Easy. Uh, what was it? Uh, Whataburger. <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I got to tell you something, Eric. I never watch any sports. I so, don't even. You're not the you're not the first person to to give me that answer. But when you really, if you really work in this business, it's very hard. I I mean, I couldn't even tell you who's on. Uh, the only one I know, and I and I can't. He he eats here, and he's very nice. Is that JJ Watt? He's very sweet. I know he's. <laughs> what is JJ? All right. What is JJ Watt order at Kenny and Ziggy's? He knows a pastrami sandwich. Of course. All right. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria, what are your go-to toppings? What do you get on your pizza? You know, I either have it two ways. I either am very very. New York traditional, just a cheese pie. 
And by the way, I only I love Romano's pizza. That's my favorite. Uh, and the other kind of I might do if I want to get, I'll have pepperoni sausage. And besides the mozzarella, I'll have a little rogot cheese on it. Very nice. All right, Ziggy Gruber, give us the, the website for, for Kenny and Ziggy's. How can people follow you? Okay, it's kennyandziggies.com. Ziggy Gruber, thank you so much. Eric, it is always a pleasure to see you. I hope this thing, you know, as they say in Yiddish, go away already, and uh, you can come in and, and give your mother a big hug. I will. Zeigesund. Zeigesund. Be well. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, I appreciate your comments and reviews. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.